There is a long legacy of famous nannies in literature and pop culture. Mary Poppins, Nanny McGee, Fran Fine, Super Nanny, even the members of the BSC should have been considered nannies on a few of those trips they took. It's hard to say why we are so fascinated with child care, but we clearly are. And while Mrs. Pigglewiggle isn't technically in the business, her love of kids and interest in helping them thrive does kind of put her up there with the greats. Mrs. Pigglewiggle was created by Betty McDonald and made her debut in 1947 in a novel called Mrs. Pigglewiggle, and she would go on to be the star of several more books in which the title character delivers cures for bad behavior in the little ones she befriends around town. For the record, I am putting the words cures and bad in quotes. Each chapter of Mrs. Pigglewiggle centers a different child whose parents call on Mrs. Pigglewiggle for help. In this episode, my guests and I break down some of our favorite and least favorite anecdotes. We also discuss commentary about the series that suggests it promotes an unreasonable level of conformity. Other topics of conversation include what makes Mrs. Pigglewiggle a unique character, fat phobia, portrayals of dads, husbands, and spanking, gendered conversations around chores, why radishes are the right vegetable to play a major role in one of the stories, and the importance of knowing when to break the rules. Like the worlds of Mrs. Pigglewiggle, this episode is fun and wacky and just a little all over the place, but we also dig pretty deep. You're going to really enjoy it. Today, we welcome Meryl Wilsner to the podcast. Meryl writes happily ever afters for queer folks who love women. They are the author of Something to Talk About and Mistakes Were Made, as well as the forthcoming Cleat Cute. Born in Michigan, Meryl lived in Portland, Oregon, and Jackson, Mississippi before returning to settle in the Mitten State. Some of Meryl's favorite things include All Four Seasons, Button-Down Shirts, The Way Giraffes Run, and Their Wife. You can find them on their website, MerylWilsner.com, or on Twitter and Instagram, at MerylWilsner. I appreciate the time Meryl took to chat with me for this episode, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. If you love the episode, please don't hesitate to share it with your people in real life or on social media. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, so please do tag me in any shares so I can see. If you're more of a Facebook person, you can find the show there by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. The weekend after this episode drops, I will be hosting our first ever SSR retreat right here in Philadelphia, and I hope that you'll follow along with our bookish adventures on social media. One of those bookish adventures is a meeting of the SWR, that's Shit We Read Book Club. While some of us will be gathering in person this month, there are others participating remotely, and these meetings are held virtually every single month. In May, SWR is reading The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Oseman. Membership in SWR is one of many special perks you get when you join the SSR Patreon family. Depending on the Patreon tier you choose, you can also get an invite to our Discord channel, bonus episodes, newsletters, exclusive Q&As with guests every week, reading recap videos, and more. It's a lot of great content and a lot of fun. Learn more and get in on the fun at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Find your next great audiobook at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. And use code SSRpodcast when prompted to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. 
Libro.fm is the perfect place to buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. The audiobooks you buy there will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Meryl. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. The book that we have on tap today is a book that's just, it's fun to say the name of it, Mrs. Pigglewiggle, but I do feel like I kind of stumble over the title. Mrs. Pigglewiggle by Betty McDonald. It was published in the late 40s, the first of a series. Meryl, tell me why you chose this book, if you read it when you were a kid, what you remember about it, all that good stuff. I chose this book because I, not only did I read it as a kid, I read it repeatedly as a child. I read Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, Caddy Woodlawn, and Mr. Popper's Penguins, like over and over and over again. I don't know. I don't know why. Like, I just, those were the three that I was most into, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. So I remember reading Mrs. Piggle Wiggle numerous times as a kid. And actually, when I went to my library to get it out, I realized that I actually read the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle Treasury, which I think is maybe the entire series, or at least the first three of the series put together. But like, I, I got the exact, like, this is the same cover, the same everything of the book that I read, like when I was a kid, which is very fun. But yeah, so the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle is officially just the um, first book in the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle Treasury. But yeah, I picked it because as soon as I saw it on your list, I was like, it has to be that one. because. I don't know. It, it has a its own special place in my heart. I love when that happens. And listeners know it happens every once in a while where I will like accidentally put an option on the list for a guest and they choose it. And I'm, I'm like, okay, they just picked it, whatever. But it turns out that this book held like a really important place in their heart or their life or their childhood. And this is me just over here doing a happy dance because we had that kind of synchronicity this time around. And I'm so glad that happened. I think I've offered this book to a handful of people because I've been really curious about it and nobody else has been interested. And it's probably because, Meryl, we were just waiting on you to come read it with us. <laughs> it was built specifically for me to come do this. It really was. So I read it when I was a kid, too. I didn't realize that it was a series, as you mentioned, with your fancy treasury over there. So it is the first in a series, the first book published in 1947. It's called Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. And then in 1949, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's Magic. 1954, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's Farm, in which Mrs. Piggle Wiggle moves to a farm. And then animals apparently help her do her magic. And then 1957, Hello, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, in which Mrs. Piggle Wiggle leaves the farm and pretends that she never lived on a farm and goes back to her usual tricks. And then finally, and I can't believe I'm saying the phrase Mrs. Piggle Wiggle so many times and have yet to stumble <laughs> over it. In 2007, her daughter wrote 
a book called Happy Birthday, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. Oh, my goodness. The first story in that collection was directly from Betty McDonald, but the rest were sort of cobbled together by her daughter based on notes that she found, sort of pointing to like a direction that those stories could go. So in total, there are five. And then I didn't know this, but it was 2016. Anne M. Martin, the author of The Babysitter's Club, worked with Betty McDonald's granddaughter or great-granddaughter on another spinoff. Like, this thing has legs. This is wild. Yeah, I did not know any of this. I know. Who knew? Do you have any thought now? I mean, and now you've reread it. So I'm wondering if you have a little bit more context now. Why do you think this is a book that you would have come back to time and time again? Do you have any thoughts about that? It's so silly. Like, all of it is so silly. What's really funny to me is it's basically about this woman who is doesn't have kids of her own, but teaches problem children of a town, you know, how to make a bed or do the dishes. Or one of the newer ones is in the Mrs. Piggle Girls Magic that I read part of, um, is like how to stop showing off and things like that. I think I must remember one from Mrs. Piggle Wiggles Farm because I distinctly remember one where a pig taught a child table manners. Definitely the farm. Right? Must have been the farm. <laughs> Must have been the farm. I think it's funny that I read it so much as a child because, like, I don't think of myself as, like, a good... I didn't do my chores very... I had to be yelled at to do my chores. Like, I was very talkative. I fought with my siblings. Like, all of the things that they're trying to fix of children in in this book. I'm like, okay, how did I read this book so much as a kid and still was like, oh, no, I'm going to fight with my sister for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting because... What I thought of when we were first introduced to Mrs. Pigglewiggle, or I guess when I was reintroduced to Mrs. Pigglewiggle, you know, she's this woman who lives on her own in an upside down house. There's something kind of like Pippi Longstocking-ish yeah. about her, actually, because everything's a little wacky, right? Like, yeah. she talks about her husband who has passed away, and he was a pirate, and there are certain rooms of her house that are not upside down. I believe it's her kitchen and her bathroom that are not because that would just be inconvenient. But she always wanted to live in an upside down house. The rest of the house is upside down and all of these magical, whimsical things happen. And she just kind of starts welcoming all of these kids into her home to hang out. And it's sort of like thinking about it in a contemporary way. It made me think about like, all of those like memes about like childless millennials and like, you know, I feel like <laughs> Mrs. Piggle Wiggle is living the life of a, a childless millennial and she's older. I feel like I think we're meant to believe that she's like in her 50s or 60s, but I feel like she's leaning into that lifestyle that we see like memefied. I was actually very interested when I first, like, you know, it opens when you were introducing Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, it opens with, you know, her, her hair was brown, blah, blah. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. Like she must yeah. be old or her hair must be gray. And I, I looked at the cover and I was like, oh no, her hair's brown in the cover. But in my mind, she, yeah, she's she's an older woman. I would have expected her to be gray for sure. Maybe she's not. Maybe I got it all wrong. Maybe we've all had it all wrong this whole time. But I feel like in the illustrations, I do feel like, but do I just think she looks older because it was published in 1946 and this is what people wore? <laughs> I don't know. Well, and also we read it for the first time when we were kids yeah. and there's that funny thing that happens with your brain when you're like, oh, people who are 40 are like so, so old. old and they're not like spoiler alert. They're <laughs> not at all. So maybe she's not an older woman. Maybe, maybe she could be an elder millennial by 2023 standards. And maybe she really is living her best childless elder millennial life. I think of this as, 
as a totally different book if I think of her as like an elder millennial than if I think of her as like 60 something. I know. Like Maybe it's I need a, to it's give you more totally time to prepare. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally different <laughs> book to me. If she's if she's only, you know, if she's like in her 40s, it's sort of like, oh, okay. Because I think one of the reasons also that sort of we think of her as like older is that she does know, or, you know, she knows all these things about kids. Like she knows how yeah. to how to cure siblings who are fighting. And gosh, I'm trying to remember what all of them are. What the the ch- the stories are so fun. Yeah, it's like the won't pick up toys cure, the answer backer cure, right? The never want to go to betters. So the fact that she knows all of these things, I think, also sort of leads me into being like, oh, she's you know, she's knowledgeable. She's that you know, she's a. I feel like she has the sort of fun crazy aunt mm. energy yeah that she doesn't have any of, her, of kids of her own but like she knows stuff yeah. about kids and kids have an absolutely amazing time at her upside down house with a chandelier on the floor like a bonfire I love that yeah as we're talking about this it occurs to me that she is now and certainly in 1947 when this book came out was a very unique kind of character mm-hmm. in that I feel like I was not raised with a lot of like models of single or widowed childless women who were not portrayed as like witches or hags or like mean or like sad like yeah. so sad that she's not married like mm, how sad yeah. for this person Like, we don't even hear about her pirate husband very much. And so I do think that was kind of like a cool take for somebody, for a woman, especially to write this in the 40s. Yeah. Honestly, as a much more queer adult than I was as a a child, I definitely was like, oh, no, she doesn't have a husband. She's clearly gay. Like, she made up her her dead pirate husband because she's (laughs) a lesbian. It's all fake. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is, uh, tends to be where my mind goes. I feel like now, uh, now that I'm older and know my identity more, I also see it everywhere in a way that, yeah, no, I, I had no recollection of whether she was married or, you know, her, her husband supposedly being a pirate or any, that mattered so little to me as a child. It wasn't something, you know, it's mentioned like once and then kids are often like digging for pirate treasure in her backyard. Right. But. I just never, it it wasn't something that stuck with me in any way, shape, or form. Well, it's been 10 minutes and we've already established like two additional ways to read this book, which I I think that's great. That says a lot about our intellectual depth because this is a very short book. (laughs) I do want to get into some of the individual stories, but before that, I wanted to share a few lines from an article that I stumbled on um, and it kind of blew my mind a little bit and I'm going to have to resist the urge not to read like the whole thing because... It fascinated me. I think it's probably a bit of a controversial take. It is part of a parenting series that they ran on the Atlantic in 2018. And the author writes about how she stumbled on her old copies of the Mrs. Pigglewiggle books and was reading them to her kids. And it was a completely different experience than what she expected. So she says things like, when I read them to my own children, I was stunned to discover that these silly books are actually horror stories, though for reasons no child could ever comprehend. Haunting are Mrs. Pigglewiggle's therapeutic cures. So she goes on to talk about like how all of these things that, that Mrs. Pigglewiggle does are actually like kind of messed up. If this sounds like gothic horror, well, it is. <laughs> Unlike the unalloyed sadism of Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, in which children are tortured and maimed for sins like overeating or chewing gum while touring a candy factory, Mrs. Pigglewiggle's, quote, cures are meant to be admired, even emulated. 
As a child, I found these books fascinating, suggesting as they did a conspiracy of adults manipulating children's every move. Now, as a mother of four, I find them even more fascinating because it turns out that conspiracy is real. (laughs) Parents do constantly conspire with a bevy of licensed and unlicensed advisors, relatives, friends, doctors, teachers, social media strangers, even representatives of the state. What all these people promise is what Mrs. Piggle Wiggle provides, conformity. It's something so unnatural that it can only happen through magic, and yet it's what's expected of children then and now. So yeah, I mean, I just thought that this this was a really interesting take. And, you know, I think for me, as somebody who, like, does not have children and was reading this for fun, like, feels a little extreme, but certainly kind of a unique thought experiment, I think, for somebody who just read the book as an adult. So I'll make sure that I link it in the show notes for those who want to check it out. But basically, this person is arguing that Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's goal in this book is just to like create an army of children who conform to perfect behavior and that that's kind of messed up. There is a part, and now I can't remember, of course, if it's in actual Mrs. Piggle Wiggle or in Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's magic. Meryl is really an overachiever, everyone. When we jumped on, they were like, oh, I have the whole treasury. I, did I read the whole thing? <laughs> did I, did I, not, read the whole thing? I didn't read the whole thing, though. But I, But there was one point where she said something like wouldn't it be nice if we could all be I can't remember the word it was but it, it was it was like equal or like even doubt even doubt even that's doubt. what it is mm-hmm. yeah that was a phrase that that Atlantic columnist actually did call out that was like very disturbing to her that phrase definitely made me go that's weird like yeah I don't see it that way in sort of the rest of this as a whole, like the rest of the book as a whole. But yeah, she said that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could all be evened out that, you know, some children talk too much and some children are quiet and shy and some children. And I was just like, what if you like kids, which Mrs. Piggle Wiggle supposedly does. It's like the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Then you should like all of those, you know? Yeah. You don't want them to be evened out because then they're not them. Yeah, I think that that is true. I think the only other thing that felt like a red flag for me as I was reading it and that column just kind of further reinforced this is there's a lot of talk of spanking and corporal punishment. And that is like very of the time, of course, but I want to call it out because there's like talk of it. I think there are a few instances where we actually read about parents spanking children. There's like joking about spanking. Like it's very much part of the conversation about parenting in this world. So of course, wanted to mention that. Yeah, there's there's the talk of spanking, like the ways you can tell, in my mind, that sort of it was written longer ago than, than today is the, all, the, all the talk of spanking, but also like the way that the husbands slash dads are portrayed. Yes. Is kind of hilarious and also kind of depressing at the same time, where it's just like, mm-hmm, okay, honey, yup. Yeah. Oh, where's the newspaper, mm-hmm. by the way? Yes. Like, just like not taking part really in like their children's raising or even like things that are distressing their wives. It's like, mm, all right, honey, can this wait till I come home from work? It's just, it just it did feel very sort of like 1940s in that respect. I also liked how when the moms called each other, they announced themselves as Mrs. X. Like they were like, hi, this is Mrs. Smith. Hi, this is Mrs. Jones. And I don't know enough about Betty McDonald's, but there's a part of me that's like, was she, was this kind of tug in cheek? I don't know. Well, the thing is also that it's not ever Mrs. Smith and Mrs. Jones. It's like, this is Mrs. Turnpike. And this is Mrs. Like the last names names are wild. And even the first names eventually become so strange even of the children like mrs broomrack and mrs grotto whose little daughter is named paraphernalia 
<laughs> so silly. Like, it's very silly in ways that kids wouldn't notice. Right. Or they would just think they're so ridiculous because yeah. they're just words that they don't know. But apparently there are throughout the series kids that are named after actual kids in Betty McDonald's family because oh, wow. the stories are based on bedtime stories that she told her kids and then her nieces and nephews and later her grandchildren. So I would imagine that Paraphernalia Grotto is not one of those characters, <laughs> but there are kids. I mean, just to guess. While we're talking about red flags, the only other thing that I would say that I thought was kind of weird in like very 40s was in one of the stories, I think it was the first one about chores. There's this whole like litany of chores that the different kids are doing oh, at yeah. Mrs. Piggle Wiggles that's so gendered. So gendered. One day at Mrs. Piggle Wiggles, there were two little girls baking cookies, one little boy baking a pie and getting flour on the floor and eating most of the dough. Like even though the boy is baking, he's still like eating. Yeah. Um, a little girl ironing in a very wrinkly fashion, all of Mrs. Piggle Wiggles clean clothes, four boys with paint on their faces and feathers in their hair, which problematic. Chopping, yeah. kindling, two boys painting the doghouse, three little girls darning old pirate socks of Mr. Piggle Wiggles and pirates, pirates everywhere, digging in the backyard, shouting and yelling, running through the house and grabbing hunks of raw cookie dough. And I would assume that those children uh, who are being rowdy and like having a good ass time running around as pirates are boys. Yeah, so I just sure. thought that that was call worth calling out as like obviously extremely gendered language. Yeah, there's also there's definitely also fat phobia. The little girl's name was Mary Lou Robinson, and she was eight years old and quite fat. Like, it just randomly sort of puts it, or yeah. like at one point, a doctor, you know, picks up another kid to see how they're doing. And they're like, whoa, you're a chunk for, you know, a nine-year-old. And I was just like, why are, why are we doing this? <laughs> this is unnecessary. Yeah. I think that these kinds of books, like, and it reminds me of um, Sideways Stories from Wayside School, which were the 90s. But it's similar, like a similar structure in that you don't need to read the whole book. You can sort of pick and choose different episodes. Every chapter is a different episode. And they're so silly and they're so fun to read that I do think that like it's really easy to miss those like little moments that are actually like kind of messed up. They're almost like more insidious. And I know insidious is like a really strong word for what I'm trying to say. But I think sometimes in these silly stories, like those things get lost even more. And so it makes them almost more interesting to talk about. Yeah. And yeah, as a, you know, as a kid, you know, as a kid, I didn't wouldn't have noticed those because yeah. nobody would have told me they were wrong. Nobody would have been like, hey, actually, parents maybe shouldn't hit their children. Or we don't need to comment on people's weight every single time that you see somebody. Or maybe, like, little white kids shouldn't dress up as Native Americans. Like, there was nobody... Well, to be fair, I was reading these myself. I was not being read this. Yeah. But there was nobody telling me, like, hey, this is... Like, calling that out. Because if, when you're a kid, you know, the world is just what the world is. Um, it's only what people tell you it is basically and so yeah I think I think insidious works for that because especially if kids are discovering stuff like this on their own and they don't have anyone being like hey that that's actually not a good thing it sort of just becomes it's a way that various negative things become a part of your life growing up just because nobody told you otherwise we all you know we all learn racism and homophobia and misogyny regardless of you know if you're a straight woman or a gay man or anything like that, you still learn all of those things from society as a whole. And yeah, they can just be, you know, the spat phobia just dropped in the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle in it. And unless somebody tells you, hey, that's not a good thing. Yeah. When you're a kid, you're just like, haha, silly story. Like you don't think about it. Maybe it just becomes natural. 
Yeah, we're all swimming in the sauce and we're just now kind of trying to get our way out of it. So let's talk about some of these stories. Each story is about a different kid that has a different behavior that per that column that I was talking about in the Atlantic, Mrs. Pibble Wiggle is trying to like force out of them so they can conform. But if we want to put it more lightly and sort of have a little bit more fun with it, there's like sort of a Mary Poppins-esque quality of like this being a woman who wants to bring a little bit of magic to these families and in doing so help their kids' behavior get on track. I at one point wrote in my margin, um, is Mrs. Piggle Wiggle the original super nanny? And made me think of that show (laughs) where like the British woman comes in and like fixes everything in the family, but she's really mean, or at least seems really mean on TV. But I think Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins, I think is a good, like a good comparison. Or like Nanny McPhee. Do you know yeah. that one? Not like well, not as well as I should, honestly. <laughs> okay. Well, I love Mary Poppins and I think we can stick with that one. So we can definitely jump around um, in the stories, but I did want to call out that according to a ranking from Barnes & Noble, the best Mrs. Piggle Wiggle cure of all time is the radish cure. That would have been my guess. So I wonder if we can start there. The radish cure is about Patsy Waters who won't take baths. What did you think about that one, Meryl? It's so amusing to me and just so ridiculous i think i think it's something that is extreme would be extremely amusing to a kid too yes yeah so she won't take baths so they so miss pickle wiggle tells her mom to just like she doesn't have to take baths like just let her get dirty and then after several days of her walking around filthy they just plant radish seeds on her i think it's more than several days it's like yeah it's by the end of the third week it says oh. they had to keep Patsy indoors at all the time because she scared their postman when she went outside because she was so dirty. <laughs> That's so gross. What I think is funny also is that like they make it out like Patsy's perfectly happy with this. Yeah. Which I don't feel like she becomes so she has to take little tiny bites of food because there's so much dirt on her face. She can't that was even gross. open her mouth enough to take a normal food. I'm like, I don't feel like I would have enjoyed that as a child. Yeah, that doesn't seem fun. Yeah, I would enjoy, would have enjoyed getting quite dirty, but I don't think quite that dirty. That was extreme. I also think the choice of radishes was a smart choice just on the author's part. Like, I mean, you're you're an author. Picture yourself. You're sitting there. You're like, I could choose any plant. Like, I have this idea where the kid's going to get super dirty and then the solution is going to be to plant something on them and then that will change their mind. Where would your mind go first? Betty McDonald's went to radishes. I feel like radishes make sense. Yeah. Because you can't do flowers because then it's like, oh my God, look, I have flowers. (laughs) That'd be amazing. (laughs) Right. Then you're like the sister in in Encanto who has like beautiful flowers. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Flowers seem great. You can't do carrots because I don't think there's enough dirt that the carrot would grow very long. True. Mm-hmm. So you have that Practical. problem. Mm-hmm. And radishes are just, I, I like radishes. Radishes are just cute and little. And I feel like, yeah, perfect. I think radishes are, there's something about a radish that's that's fundamentally hilarious. And I don't <laughs> know what it is. I think it's because it's, is it a, it's a root vegetable, right? It is yeah. a vegetable. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those vegetables that kids are aware enough of, but it's not something that they eat every day. Maybe yeah. now it is. But I feel like when I was a kid, it was not something that we had all the time. But if you – but, like, I knew what one was. Yeah. So I feel like it strikes this balance of, like, it's not some, – it's something that kids will recognize enough to find the humor in, but it's still kind of weird. Well, and also, not only is it still kind of weird, but it's also not, like – I think of, like, if I think of vegetables kids hate, like, you know, I would think of broccoli, you know, or something like that. And it's not sure. – it's not sort of 
a common enough vegetable that I feel I don't feel like I know kids who are like, oh, absolutely not. I will not eat radishes. Those are the worst things in the whole world. You know, it's not like that. So they they don't have that sort of negative connotation for kids either. I I do kind of hate radishes. I wish (laughs) I liked them because they're really good for you. But as I was reading this, I was like, radishes are so disgusting. I love radishes. If you have any radish recipes, send them my way because I would like to learn to make them better. I'm not even much of a like cook when it comes to radishes. Oh, I you like just eat them raw. Yeah, a nice like sliced fresh radish, either in a salad or honestly just like a radish with salt on it. See that I have not tried in a long time. Oh, delicious! See, maybe this is maybe you are my Mrs. Pickle Wickle in this <laughs> <Right> situation, <now. laughs> and you're giving me a cure to my radish phobia. Okay, so that I'm so so honored. <laughs> According to Barnes and Noble, that was the best one of all time. And that is inclusive of the whole series. I personally would like to nominate the answer backer cure with the parrot, just because I loved this idea that Molly, who's mostly called Mary in this book, but her real name is Molly O'Toole. She is talking back to her parents all the time, which I do think is something that pretty much every kid has been accused of at some point. The idea that Mrs. Pigglewiggle marches a whole ass parrot to these people's <laughs> houses named Penelope as the cure. I and Listeners know I'm a little afraid of birds. I feel like I've been a little negative in the last five minutes. I don't like radishes. <laughs> I don't like birds. But I am genuinely afraid of birds. The idea that this woman would just show up at your house and be like, take this parrot. It's going to fix everything. I thought that that was pure comedy. That is so funny to me because I love radishes and I love birds. So this is It's just, okay, Meryl. It's okay. We can be friends. It's so silly, but also so correct. And, and that one has the answer back or cure is the parrot is basically answering back and the kid sees how annoying it is and doesn't like it and right. stops doing it. I like that one. But I also really like the fighter quarrelers cure, so which is good. similar in that it's like show the kids how annoying it is and they won't do it right. anymore. But what it is, is it's like two twins who just fight from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to bed, starting with like one of them telling the other one there's a spider in the bed and it's on her side. And so she leaps up screaming and runs to her parents. Right. And Mrs. Fickle Wiggle has the parents do the exact same thing. So one day the mom just comes like running in, or is it the mom or the dad? One of the, one of the parents comes running and screaming to the kid's room saying, oh my God, there's a spider in my bed and it's on my side. And they just do every single thing that the kids do. And the kids yeah. are just like, what is wrong with you? Right. <laughs> and I, oh, that one, that one got me even more than like mean Penelope the parrot. Yeah, and maybe it was just the alliteration of of Penelope Parrot that I really enjoyed. But I think you're right. The fight, the fighting cure is one that I feel like most parents can relate to. Like I remember that being the thing that really got on my parents' nerves when when my 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 siblings and I were kids. Like the fighting, and I I was usually not involved, but I have much younger siblings who are closer in age, and so they would just fight with each other constantly when they were little. And I remember that being the thing that was just like exasperating for my parents. Yeah. And I do feel like they would appreciate this idea of like, just listen to how ridiculous you sound. I actually sort of feel like a theme in this book is that Mrs. Pigglewiggle is like kind of teaching all of these kids self-awareness a little bit. Like, yeah, you are filthy. You're so filthy that we're going to be able to grow radishes in you or on you. But like, 
the only way that you're going to become aware of that is if I grow radishes on you. on you. Yeah. All, literally on you. You are fighting constantly. You are talking back constantly. But the only way that you're going to become self-aware is if I mirror that back to you somehow. So I feel like that's also a common thread in this book. And I, I genuinely like believe that the whole world would be a much better place if everybody was more self-aware. I think that like that would be a huge, like if we could have one thing that would solve a lot of problems, I kind of think self-awareness might be it. And so as we're talking about this, Mrs. Pigglewiggle might be onto something. It's true. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's very smart to love like if there's one thing that would solve a lot of problems, it's everybody being, being even just even just a little bit more self-aware and that's why today i am announcing my candidacy for no, I'm not, but that would be I think <laughs> that'd that would be amazing be i would be so honored oh my gosh something that i w- can only point out because i read too much and i read some of the next book in the treasury which was hello M- mrs pigglewiggle is that in mrs pigglewiggle itself all of her cures are like real like they could they are things that could happen yes you know for somebody who won't pick up toys it's like let their room get so messy they literally can't leave right and then we'll march by with a parade and they'll have to clean up to get out or you know bring this parrot in and and granted you maybe a parent doesn't parrot doesn't talk as much as that parrot but whatever you, you you can suspend disbelief enough the first one in hello mrs piggle wiggle the first story is a show-off cure where literally the kid goes invisible whenever he shows off. And I'm like, that's a whole different, like, that's a such a different thing compared to this first book, which is all of these very silly cures, but that are yeah. all, like, technically things that could happen in real life. Like, do I, do, could radishes really grow on you? Maybe not. But if you have enough dirt, and you have radish seeds, and they, she says, like, you shouldn't have to water her because it's it, like we're getting enough rain lately that you shouldn't have to water her for them to sprout. You know, those are just all things that, like, don't take that much suspension of disbelief. It, 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 it's not magic, it's real life that's changing these things. And then the very first story of the next book is one that I was just like, oh, well, this this couldn't happen (laughs) as though any of them could happen but you know it was just it was very different i think it's a very different the stories are very different if they take actual magic to solve things as opposed to you know like for the the selfishness cure where there's a kid who doesn't let people touch any of his belongings and so they write also that's also something that would change if it was uh written today is there would not be a child named dick so they write Dick's bat, don't touch. Dick's lunchbox, don't touch on every single thing that he owns. And kids eventually make fun of him for that to the point that he's like, I, no, I don't, it's not mine anymore. Anyone can touch it. I don't care. Like he learns not to be selfish that way. And that's just so different from like, oh, he disappears when he shows off. So he doesn't get attention. I feel like it's starting from a whole different place, I guess. Yeah, it's like the first book worked really well. And so then her editor was like, look, we need to do more of these. And the author was like, I, I think, I don't know, we're gonna, things are gonna have to get we're a gonna little make- more <laughs> magical. Yeah. I think the one about like all the labels on Dick's stuff, like was the biggest stretch for me. Most of them, I think, again, like even though they're a little wacky, I was like, okay, all of this while dramatic does feel like it is 
true to the way that kids behave, the way kids talk to each other, the way kids would respond to things. I didn't quite see where she was going with that one because I think the one time I did get it was like toward the end of the chapter when the kids like don't want to play with Dick's games because like it says his name on the ball or something. Mm -hmm. Then not hurt his feelings because like nobody would play with him. But I think if there was, for me, if there was like a weak point in the book, like that would probably be the weak point. <laughs> I have some notes on that one <laughs> just because I didn't, I, I just didn't quite get it. I think the other ones worked much better. So did you not think that like he would be embarrassed that his stuff was labeled or did you not think that the other kids would make fun of it? It's like what happens is like he even goes to school with his, Mrs. Spriggle gives his mom like a pastry bag to like write in like frosting on his sandwiches and things like Dick's sandwich yeah. don't touch. And that I think is really sort of what really makes the kids gets the kids wild. Cause it says on his apple, like Dick's apple don't touch. And kids are like, take it and throw it around and do, they do touch it because yeah. they realize it's so ridiculous. So like, do you think their response wasn't sort of realistic to you or Dick's response? I like that we're unpacking this. Um, maybe it's just because I'm like a child of the catalog era and would spend many hours like sitting at the table over breakfast, paging through like the L.L. Bean catalog or the Land's End catalog, admiring backpacks and lunchboxes that you could get embroidered with your name. But that was never something that I could do or that my parents would do. And I was like, oh, it would be so cool if I could have like my name <laughs> on stuff. So maybe... Maybe this is like my own shit, as it often is on this podcast. I don't know. I love it. I think I think that there's a difference between like, oh, like this is monogram. This one thing is monogrammed. Yeah. How like cool. And like literally every single thing that you touch has to. Like she, his mom sews his name into every piece of clothing that he owns, which is insanity. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a lot of work for her. Really. Yeah. Like yeah. again, it all like, what's all the lesson here? Mom. It all comes down to the mom. You know, she, what, what more does this woman have to do to get her kid to stop being rude to everyone? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. I, I just think, I think that, yeah, having, having one or two monogrammed things is one thing. But I, I do think that kids would make fun of somebody who every single thing that they had was labeled that it belonged to them and you couldn't touch it. So that's probably true. Because it's like, I don't, I don't want this apple from your lunchbox. But now that you've told me I can't have it. I am going to steal it and throw it up in the air. It's totally mine. No, that's true. That's true. I'm glad that we, I'm glad we uh, dug in a little bit deeper. The thing that I also thought was kind of cool as far as like the more practical cures went was the fact that there's a lot of reverse psychology at play. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like Mrs. Piggle Wiggle doing this thing that I feel like a lot of parents do when they're really exhausted um, by saying like, don't do this thing, whatever you do. And sort of letting it play out and letting the kid like sort of run wild over that rule to see what happens. The chapter and the cure that I thought was perhaps like most practical um, and the one that I really felt deep in my soul was the never want to go to bedders cure. Yeah. The kids don't want to go to bed. They're not listening to their mom at bedtime. There's three of them and they're just like, they have no time for her please to go to sleep. And so Mrs. Picklewiggle says like, fine, don't, they don't have to go to bed. Tell them to stay up late for as long as they want. Don't have any bedtime. And I think this gets to like an irony of being a human that we adults like just, you don't learn it until you're a grown up when you're like, oh, I just wish I could sleep more. But when you're a kid, all you want to do is stay up late. So I feel like this 
is a story that appeals to both kids and adults because everybody feels like one part of this conflict. For sure. Well, it's also like, I feel like even as an adult, I don't always know like, hey, maybe I should go to sleep. Like now would be a good time to stop playing on my phone. No, I don't need to watch another episode. Like just go to bed. I will feel better if I do. I still feel like I learned that repeatedly and then I forget it and then I learn it again like that's what these kids have to learn is stay up forever and it's not gonna feel good actually right and I think that's something that I yeah that I learn over and over again as an adult because it's like it's also like wow as in when I grow up I can have ice cream for every meal but then as an adult you're like I mean I could have ice cream for every meal but like I would not feel good you know it's it's balancing the what you're what you're allowed to do what you can do and recognizing like oh just because that sounds really good in theory it does not work so well in practice yeah I feel like I am as an adult like continuing to learn a lot of the lessons that Mrs. Piggle Wiggle is trying to teach these kids and in a way that's like not all together removed from the way that Mrs. Piggle Wiggle teaches like to your point about eating so I'm teaching an undergraduate writing class this semester and these kids are constantly eating Pop-Tarts. It's all they eat. Like (laughs) every day there's at least three of them walking in with Pop-Tarts. They walk out with Pop-Tarts. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I haven't had a Pop-Tart in a while. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to start eating Pop-Tarts again, especially because like, you know, the class is at a weird time. I never know what to eat, when to eat. So like, I'm going to go buy myself some Pop-Tarts. So I then start going down. I'm like, I'm in my Pop-Tart era per Taylor Swift. (laughs) And it's like a connection point with the kids. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm cool. Like, I also have Pop-Tarts. How you doing, fellow kids? <laughs> Hello, kids. Hello, youths. What What about those influencers? TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Want to make a TikTok of me eating this Pop-Tart, an adult? <laughs> but no, and then I started eating them, and they are delicious. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, I'm not, this is not a meal. And yeah, I, I kept doing it for time. a while because I was like, you know what? It works for the kids. And then I kept buying them. And I was like, this is not a meal. So I feel like I have, as an adult, we have to become our own Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. It's true. It's true. But I think there is also, like, I'm I'm both learning that, those sort of lessons, while also learning, like, yeah, I can do anything I want. And sometimes it sometimes it's okay to eat a Pop-Tart for a meal. You can't eat a Pop-Tart for every meal. But if what you have is a Pop-Tart, that's okay, too. You know, like, don't stay up every single night very, very late. But if you're having a great time with your friends and you stay up the whole night, you'll live. Not just finding the balance of of sort of what is right and what is healthy and what is good, but also, like, when to break those, like, the rules that, that Mrs. Piggle Wiggle is trying to teach us when to break them, I think is something I'm also learning as an adult. Which kind of speaks to that column about parenting where it's like, and she, there was a line in it that I I think could be interesting at this point because she talks about um, now that she's reading these books with her kids, like how she is taking another step. She says, today when I read these books to my children, I try something I never could have done as a child. I imagine Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's uncured young baby boomers as adults and appreciate how much we needed them. I imagine Melody Foxglove's ready tears inspiring her to join the Freedom Riders or to protest the Vietnam War, while Treehouse Building truant Jody Jones tunes in, drops out, reads Silent Spring, and designs new sustainable homes for the future. I see unwashed Patsy Waters digging wells in the Peace Corps, lifting people out of poverty. 
I picture toy-obsessed Hubert Prentice inventing robots and cell phones. I imagine tattletale Wendy Hamilton as a fearless prosecutor taking down child molesters and organized crime. Christopher Brown, after half a century of perfect table manners, lets his grandchildren put their feet up on his table, laughing with them about his parents' limitations, and then I look at my own children, hoping someday they will laugh at my limitations too. And so it's like, of course, this is an aggrandized version of what we're talking about, like imagine what these kids would have been had they not had all of these rules. But yeah, I mean, sometimes breaking the rules and just doing something fun makes you a better, well-rounded person too. So like, eat the fucking Pop-Tart, stay up late. Yeah. Everybody, we give you permission, please do it. The thing that I am learning is not just like that you can, but also like be gentle on yourself for doing that. Like, I feel like lots of times when, I don't know, you know, we're sort of taught that this is, you know, this is appropriate behavior. This is how you go through, like, whether it's, you know, good table manners or, you know, oh, you go to college and then you get a job and then you get married and then you have children. Like, this is the way that you go through life. Sort of we learn what is, what options are available to us. And yeah, it is really hard to remember that not being one of not like fitting into one of those options is an okay thing and sort of going against what the whole world has taught you this is this is what's right this is what you're supposed to do if it's not right for you that's okay if you have to eat a pop tart for a meal that's all right it's better than eating the pop tart for the meal and then hating yourself for eating the, only a pop tart for the meal like that doesn't do anything oh <laughs> In relation to the quote that you said, what was it? The the crying cure? What What is the cure? Yeah, is, I don't think that, was that in the first book or was that later in the treasury? Oh, was that in the sec, is that in the second one? Oh, okay. I don't remember that one, but I was interested. Yeah, I don't think that that was in the first one. The, I'll just read if I can find it very quickly. Yeah. The last line of it. Yeah, it's the crybaby cure and it's in the, it's the second, it's the second story um, in Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's Magic. Oh, at the end of it, these two girls, one of whom used to cry all the time, get stuck on a Ferris wheel way up high, and, like, they don't, they don't cry. They, they look for their houses, basically. One of them had started crying, but she said, I did cry, Betsy said, but Melody said that crying never helped anything. It doesn't either, Melody said. I know, because I used to cry a whole lot when I was littler. And I was like, as a well-known crybaby myself, Crying helps a lot of things, actually. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, sometimes you have to cry. Uh, something, sometimes a cry really just makes you feel better. Or it just makes you see things more clearly so that you can handle it better. And, I mean, lots of times a cry makes you feel better, which I don't know. I can't actually cite my sources, but I do believe that it, like, releases hormones that help fight yeah. stress and stuff like that. So, actually, crying helps. Yeah. Yeah, I don't love that lesson. In a much less serious example, one time I cried my way into really good seats at a basketball game by pretending that that I had bought the tickets. Like I, we had moved down from like nosebleed seats to like nobody was taking them. We didn't take anybody's seats, but security was like, "Oh well, I, when I went on break, you weren't here, and now you are here, so I need to see your tickets." And I, obviously we did not have tickets for the seats. I ended up 
going to like you know customer service and crying about how I lost like making myself cry about how I lost my tickets and my boyfriend I was not with my boyfriend I was with a friend my boyfriend <laughs> loves this team and blah, blah, blah. we got literally escorted back to the seats by like the manager of the arena and they were like these people can stay here so crying helped in that situation quite a lot thank you yeah take that Mrs. Pickle Wiggle <laughs> yeah because who who wins by those seats just being empty nobody nobody wins no Nobody and wins. we got to see the game from much closer up, and it was great. This book is deep. We have really, like, we have, we've gone so much further than I thought that we could. I thought we were just going to talk about, like, how this book maybe gave me some fun ideas that I would hate chores less. It did that, you know, pretend that you're, like, a princess or something, which feels like it's just going to add more time to the already time-consuming task of cleaning your house. But this book is about so much more than that. <laughs> I think maybe also we're just getting a little bit too into it. <laughs> none, of, none of this I would have thought about as a child. I do remember as a kid with the the boy who loves his toys and lets his room be a complete mess. Even as a child, I remember thinking, okay, so he has to clean his room to get out to go to the like parade and the circus or whatever that Mrs. Piggle Wiggle takes by. But one... He doesn't have to clean his whole, whole room. He could just clean around the door. Just a path. Yeah, just a path. And two, wh- how, why is he going to keep his room clean? There's not always going to be a parade. Run- like, I, even as a kid, I thought that was, like, so silly. I was like, well, this isn't going to work because he can just let his room get messy again. And there's not going to be another parade. I, th- I just think it's very funny that as a kid, I had that very distinct, like, mm, this is not a good reason to keep your room clean, actually. <laughs> That's funny. I like that that's what you were pushing up against. That FOMO wasn't enough to clean your whole room. Like missing out on the parade was not enough to get you to clean up your whole space. Well, no, you could, you just had to get out the door. Like you didn't, or the window, which he could open the window to get toast on a rake. That's true. So shimmy down the drain pipe or I don't know how how, climb down the, (laughs) climb down the corner of the house on the whole Merrill coming back to Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, us having this conversation about it. This book, how does it compare now to your memories of it from when you were a kid? I may have ruined parts of it for you, but I also feel like we celebrated it a bit. And I'm curious uh, kind of how it compares. I still really enjoy it. I honestly still will probably read the rest of the whole treasury, which I'm about halfway through, just because it's fun. That said, I don't know if I, I don't have kids, so I can just spout whatever I want about parenting. I don't know if I would read it to my kids if I did have kids. Like having read it now, I'm like, are there other things that I could read instead of a book written in 1946? But like to me personally, I still I still love it. Good. I'm glad it still hit that warm spot in your heart. It was fun to come back to and we had a fun conversation about it. We so did. thank you for finally picking it. I'm glad that this ended up being one that was meaningful to you. Yeah. Other than Mrs. Piggle Wiggle and I guess the entire Mrs. Piggle Wiggle treasury, <laughs> what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? I am almost done with Sorry Bro by, oh, I don't remember Talene's last name, um, which is an FF romance. Talene Vascuni, Voscuni, it's an FF romance about a um, Armenian woman who like has just broken off, broken up with her boyfriend and her mom is like, time for you to date a nice Armenian boy. And there's this event, there are these events that are happening uh, called Explore Armenia. And I'm going to send you to every single event. They're in uh, San Francisco, I think. 
I'm going to send you to every single event and here are the men who you should try to marry because, you know, I know their parents, blah, blah, blah. And then she falls in love with a woman who is helping to put on uh, the events uh, instead. And I am very much enjoying that. My go-to, probably what I wreck maybe more than anything else. I, I'm a romance writer. I read primarily romance. And what I wreck, but like my favorite romance is um, Love and Other Disasters by Anita Kelly. And one of my friends has recently taken me up on it and I keep getting text messages about how, why haven't they kissed yet? And things like that. <laughs> so that's, that's been on my mind lately. Um, and I, I really love that one too. Such a good feeling to recommend something to somebody and then like kind of re-experience it yourself. I will include links to both of those books in the show notes for this episode. And Meryl, as we talk, you're kind of like smack dab between two book releases. You had a book come out last October, I believe. You have another one coming in September. What is happening? What is exciting? Tell us about your work. What should people know about it? Because, of course, they need to go get everything you've ever written and everything you will write in the future. That would be great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> as I said, I'm a romance writer. Um, I write queer romance. Coming out this year in September, I have Cleat Cute, which is... Great title, by the way. Like, thank you. Take a moment for the title. It's so good. The title <laughs> is thanks to Rosie Thor, who's another author, um, who did like a whole Twitter thread at one point. Like, I think at this point, it's years ago, being like, you know, two people who meet at the butcher, meet cute with an A, and then just like kept going and did cleat cute. And I was like, I, I knew I had a soccer romance that I wanted to write. And I said, when I write my soccer book, can I call it cleat cute? And they were like, yes, please do. Amazing. Yeah. So cleat cute comes out in September. It is about a veteran soccer player who's still young, but has been on the U.S. women's national team for a long time, and um, a new, like, rookie up-and-comer who sort of realized that cooperation works better than competition, both on and off the field, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it's as they are gearing up to try to make the World Cup roster. I really wanted it to come out in summer so that it could come out during the World Cup because the yeah. Women's World Cup is this year, but I am a slowpoke when it comes to writing. So it will come out this fall. People will still be riding the high of the Women's World yes. Cup and they're going to yes. want more soccer and then they'll be like, good thing Cleet Cute is out. And it's it's enough, I think it's enough soccer that people who like soccer will enjoy it and it's little enough soccer that people who know nothing about soccer will still enjoy it. Hopefully, knock on wood, I guess. And yeah, last, in October, I had Mistakes Were Made come out. Mistakes Were Made is loving, lovingly called the MILF book. It is about a college senior who has a one-night stand with an older woman who she meets at the bar, and the next morning learns that that older woman is one of her friend's mothers. It is very spicy. Starts with a bang, quite literally. And Cleet Cute is mildly, is a little less, you know, high heat than mistakes were made. But yeah, I love them both greatly. And I guess I should also mention my, my debut from oh so long ago, something to talk about which is the opposite of Mistakes Were Made in terms of heat level. Something to talk about is the longest slow burn, potentially, that you may ever read. And yeah, as I said, Mistakes Were Made literally, like I think maybe by page seven, they are in the backseat of a car. And in Something to Talk About, I think when you're on a Kindle, it's at like 92% that they get together. <laughs> so Gotta work for it. <laughs> yeah, just be prepared. If you like one of them, you may or may not like the other. <laughs> well, something to talk about, mistakes were made, and Cleet Cute, go get yourself Meryl's books. Pre-order Cleet Cute because it's coming out in September. Meryl, thank you so much for taking the time to talk all things Mrs. Piggle Wiggle with me. This was a lot of fun. 
Thank you. I have had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>